musicians who have been leading us this evening. Uh, thank you also to Colin, who's one of our associate pastors. Our other associate pastor, Rodney, is representing us this evening at the new uh, dedication of the new church building for the Destiny Church down in Gorgie. Uh, they've bought an old bingo hall. Uh, Pete, the pastor, apparently said the first week we're praying for a full house, which I don't think he could, I don't think he could resist that. And uh, the week before, uh, I was at the opening of the renovated building of St. Paul's and St. George's down in York Place. Amazing five million pound project. And uh, we want to rejoice as a church with all the churches that are continuing to spread the good news of Jesus throughout Edinburgh. Friends, it's not a competition. There are enough sinners to go around. Uh, we rejoice with all the churches. I meet with most of the church leaders, the city centre ones for prayer regularly. We support one another. We pray for one another. We have a special project with three churches launching Christianity Explored. You'll see leaflets about that um, even today. And we want to cooperate together in the work of the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you're a visitor here this evening, if you're a student here maybe for the, for the first time, we hope you might find a spiritual home here among us. But we're glad that there are lots of other good churches of all kinds of labels and varieties. Find the place where God wants you to be and settle in there and get plugged in and involved in the work of the Gospel. It's a great work to be involved in. It's my privilege to share God's word this evening. And I need God's help, you do, to concentrate and understand it. So let's just pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your kingdom is extending throughout the world. We thank you for the many churches, even in our great city of Edinburgh, where the good news of Jesus is proclaimed and your word is taught week by week. We thank you for the new church building, uh, for the folks at Destiny, uh, for St. Paul's and St. George's and the new building there. And the many other churches we could name uh, where the gospel is proclaimed. And we pray that you will continue to expand your kingdom. We pray that new people might come to faith in Jesus. Uh, that you might rescue many others like you've rescued us. We've already sung about that. We thank you that you have a great plan of salvation for the whole world. And as we focus on that this evening, as we continue our series, we ask your help in understanding how your plan is worked out through human beings like us, that we might hear and understand what your plan for us is in mission, and that we might gladly follow it, and as a result, that your kingdom might continue to grow. And we ask this all uh, for the glory and honour of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. As my family will be the first to tell you, a sense of direction is not my strongest suit. I was once invited to speak at a baptismal service in Larbert one evening. And it was only when I saw the signs advertising St Andrews that I realised I was on the M90 instead of the M9. It's been suggested, therefore, by quite a few people, and contributions are welcome, uh, that I should acquire a sat-nav satellite navigation system for my car so that like Rodney you can simply key in the directions he's got one alright and uh, apparently you can even choose the voice male or female uh, well we won't go there but um, but the aim of it would be that I would get to the place I intended by the quickest and or most direct route it's my experience that many Christians struggle with a sense of divine direction. Not sure which way God wants them to go. 
especially in the key decisions of life. Should I marry this person or that person or not at all? Should I follow this career in life or that career? Should I move house or town or country or church? So we long, do we not, for a divnav system. Directions not from a satellite in the sky, but from God in heaven, a divine navigation system, telling us clearly and unmistakably every step to take in life. And some Christians look for this kind of guidance. You know the kind where when you go to bed at night on the side table, you put your Bible teetering on the edge? No, you've never done this. Some of you have. And in the morning you knock it on the floor and it falls open and you look down and you point your finger and there's a verse that says, go north. Or Well, I've met people who do that kind of thing. Uh, but, and, and occasionally, I have to be honest and say, occasionally God does speak in strange ways like that. But most of the time, if you've been a Christian any length of time, in fact it usually gets harder as you go on, by the way, uh, most of the time, we find discovering and following God's will in our lives is a much more complex process, is it not? Just nudge your head unless you, if you agree. I think most of us probably do. And the reason for this is that we are not robots programmed to mechanically follow instructions. But we're human beings. Not only capable of going our own way, but willfully inclined to go our own way instead of God's way. The Bible has a word for this propensity. Sin. To which theologians add the word original sin. To indicate it's a problem that we're born with. Inherited through our first parents when they went their own way in the Garden of Eden. Now, when you become a Christian, as many of you have, you do two things. You repent of your sin, which means you admit that you've been going your own way instead of God's way. And you turn from that old way of life. And the other side of, uh, of it is that you put your faith or trust in Jesus. Not only as your saviour from your sin and its consequences, but also as your Lord to direct you. But when you become a Christian, God doesn't take you over like some kind of zombie. No, the Lord allows you, in fact it's the first time ever, you can freely and gladly... Choose to follow God's plan for your life. You can choose, as Paul puts it in one of his letters in Romans 12 verse 2, he says you can choose to prove, to test and try out that God's will is good and perfect and pleasing. However, this freedom means, this is all introduction by the way, just stay with me, I'll get to the point in a minute. This means that there are times when it is possible for us either foolishly or carelessly to go our own way. That's the bad news. The good news is this. Despite this, despite us, God fulfills his plans. Uh, this, summary, uh, this wonderful truth, this reassuring truth, is summarized in one of the wise proverbs in the Hebrew Scripture. I don't know if you read the proverbs. It's a good idea to read them regularly. A lot of truth in them. Just 
succinct things. Here's one to remember. Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in a man's or woman's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Now today, as we continue our series in the book of Acts, which we've called The Spreading Flame, we see this worked out in practice. As God uses people, as God uses people to carry out his plan, to spread the flame of the gospel to places they didn't expect or plan. So, I've called this this evening, Guiding Principles. So, when you open your Bibles, we're going to look at this together in Acts 15. Now we're at the point of our subject this evening. Acts 15, verse 36, we're going to read through to 1610. It's page 1111. So, let's read together. This morning we heard about this great council and meeting that they had in Jerusalem and made some key decisions about the future, about how Gentiles and Jews could live together, what was required of Gentiles if they wanted to follow Jesus. Now, meanwhile, back at Antioch. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of God and see how they are doing. If you've been in the series, you remember they embarked on a missionary trip in Acts 13 and 14. And Paul's now suggesting they go back and see how the folks are getting on in these places. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is God's word that we're going to focus on this evening. Now the problem with a div-nav system is that like the sat-nav system, we want to put in the destination and then expect God to get us there to where we want to go. 
But God's plan is for us to go where he wants us to go, which is usually a much bigger picture and plan than we had planned or thought about. Uh, And you can see these, we're just going to start with an overview. You can see these two contrasting plans in these verses. Alright? Luke's account begins with what we can call plan A. Paul's proposal, verse 36, chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of God and see how they're doing. Uh, Paul's plan is that they retrace their missionary journey that he and Barnabas took before to the island of Cyprus and the mainland cities of Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. For those who have been listening to this, downloading it or listening to it on tape, it will help to have a a map in front of you to get a a grasp of what we're talking about here, where the places are. Now, this is a very sensible plan. Let's see how those churches that we planted and those new Christians that came to faith in Jesus in the past couple of years, two or three years, let's see how they're getting on and encourage them. But God has a different plan and purpose which he intends to fulfill through Paul, which we could call plan B. God's purpose. A bigger plan and purpose to break new ground for the gospel. God's plan is that they go far beyond what they imagined to Greece and to what we now call Europe. If you look at a map and compare the two things, you'll see what a bigger plan this is than the plan that they originally thought of, that Paul originally thought of. A famous preacher from the past, G. Campbell Morgan, who was minister down in Westminster Chapel in London, said, that invasion of Europe was not in the mind of Paul, but it was evidently in the mind of the Spirit. This wasn't Paul's plan. It was the Spirit's plan. It was God's plan. So, what I want us to think about this evening is, how does God turn our plans into his plans? How does he turn what we propose into what he purposes? And as you look at these verses together, I just want broadly to look at the two ways God does it, which in these stories, which he still does today. Alright? So I have two points. Uh, and uh, two guiding principles. Not very pleased with the alliteration, but it's the best I can do. And just stick to the point if you don't like it. Alright? Okay, the first point is this. God guides through people problems. God guides through people problems. As we've seen, Paul makes this suggestion to Barnabas, his great colleague. He says, Barnabas, Barney, he says, let's, let's go back the way we came and, and see how everybody's getting on. And Barnabas says, yeah, great idea. Uh, I'd like to suggest, though, that we take John Mark with us on the journey as a companion, as a colleague. Now, if you were with us in this series, you'll know that John Mark had started out with them on that first missionary journey. However, after a successful mission in Cyprus, when they got to the mainland, he was, for some reason, we read in Acts 13, verse 13, John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, we can't be sure why John did this. Some suggest he was homesick. Others suggest he was literally sick with the malaria that was endemic in that region at that time. Others propose he was very unhappy with the direction that the mission was taking with this emphasis on Gentiles instead of Jews. Yet others suggest that he was very unhappy that Paul had started to take the lead instead of his more experienced colleague Barnabas. And added to this 
which is often the case in church disagreements, there is a family dimension. Because John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Does this sound like church life to you? Yes, it does. Whatever the reason may have been for John Mark leaving, and we'll never know finally until we go to heaven and ask him, uh, there was, we read, a sharp disagreement between Barnabas, who wanted to take John Mark with them, and Paul. Verse 38, But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not continued with them in the work. The words translated sharp disagreement there are one word in Greek. I'll tell you what it is, not to show off, but because you you should recognize the English word we derive from it. The word is paroxysmos. From which we get paroxysm. Which means being stirred to very high emotion. It can either be a positive thing, when you stirred up about something noble, it can also be a word that can be used negatively. And here it is the latter. It means there's a really heated argument between these wonderful Christians, Paul and Barnabas, which involves anger, irritation, disagreement, a very heated argument. You can imagine the conversation. Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back the way we came. And Barnabas says, great idea. Let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, "Uh, I don't think that's wise. He let us down once. Mission is no place for deserters. And Barnabas says, come on, Paul, that's a bit strong. He was only a young man, let's give him a second chance. Paul says, what did the Lord Jesus say? No man who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And Barnabas says, hang on a minute, what about Peter? He got a second chance and he's an apostle. It could be the making of Mark. I say, let's take him. And Paul says, no way, it could mess up the mission. I say, let's leave him. And so on, and so on. Very interesting, isn't it, how honest the Bible is. Some people say that this is a glossy account of the church. Listen, this is a glossy account by Luke of the church. You'd have missed this bit out. If you've been a Christian novelist, you certainly have missed it out. After the great Christian council in Jerusalem, which led to unity within the church, here's disagreement, and there is no reconciliation at this point. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. So, audience interaction, let's take a little straw poll. Please raise your hand if you think they should have taken Mark with them on the journey. Or if you would have taken Mark with you if you'd been on the journey. Right, please raise your hand. Come on, no copying out here, I just want... Thank you very much. And now raise your hand if you think they shouldn't have taken him. Oh, right. Thank you. What this reveals is not who was right or wrong, but whether you are a Barnabas, a son of encouragement, what his name means, who's keen to give, any, give anyone, especially a young man, a second chance, or you're a Paul who's focused and committed and doesn't want to risk the progress of the gospel with a possible deserter. Now notice the book of Acts passes no judgment on who is right and who is wrong? Just an honest statement of what happened. The American pastor and preacher Warren Wearsby, little book called Be Daring on Acts. Well, he's got several. This is the second one. He says, good and godly people in the church do disagree. This is one of the painful facts of life we must accept. Paul looked at people and asked, what can they do for God's work? While Barnabas looked at people and asked, what can God's work do for them? Both questions are important. 
to the Lord's work, and sometimes it's difficult to keep things balanced. Now, to the point of our message this evening, what is amazing is that God fulfills his plans, not even despite these people problems, but even through them. For the outcome is two mission teams and two missions instead of one. Look at what happens. Barnabas and Mark go back to Cyprus. Verse 39. Paul and Silas go to Syria and Cilicia. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening churches. Uh, Paul chooses a new colleague to replace Barnabas. Silas, or Silvanus to give his full Latin name, was one of the delegates who had been sent from the Jerusalem church to convey that decision of the council in Jerusalem. And Paul's choice of Silas would reassure the Jewish Christians and help maintain the still fragile relationship between Gentile and Jewish believers. Silas was also a Roman citizen like Paul, which would help on their travels, and he was also a very good scribe and wrote down some of Paul's letters for him. So verse 41 tells us they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, this of course was Paul's, I don't know if you can see on the map, but this is Paul's, oh, that's terrible map, it's too fuzzy, but it's Paul's own home territory on the top there. He came from Tarsus. He was Saul of Tarsus before. He would have known the region. And so they, they're going back on the journey they went before that Paul went, but they're going the opposite way round. They're going anti-clockwise instead of clockwise, the way they went before. All right? And they come to the towns of Derby, Lystra and Iconium, which was the final stopping place on the first missionary journey. And at Lystra, another person is added to the team. A young man named Timothy. Uh, Acts 16, 1-3 gives us some details about this young man. He's a child of mixed marriage. His mother is Jewish. His father, probably dead by now, is a Greek. He's another man who's like Paul at home in two worlds and two cultures. It's probable that he and his mother were converted on the first missionary journey when Paul preached in Lystra. It may even be that he witnessed the Apostle Paul being stoned to death almost and dragged outside the city and left for dead. Maybe that impressed him. Whatever the case, he's now come to faith and he's matured as a believer, he's well spoken of by everyone else. Now, although Timothy has a Jewish mother, he is not, as normally would have been the case, been circumcised as a Jew. We learn that in verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, some people have accused Paul had been very inconsistent here. Is this not Paul who argued in the council that circumcision wasn't necessary? Well, the answer is quite simple. Circumcision is not necessary for salvation. But the circumcision of a young man who was primarily Jewish, because you took your heritage through your mother in those days, would encourage good relationships between Jewish and Gentile believers for the advancement of the gospel. Uh, when Paul deals with another young man called Titus, who's a total Gentile, he refuses to, baptize, uh, to circumcise him at all. And so Paul is not being consistent here. One writer says, as Paul saw it, being a good Christian did not mean being a bad Jew. And again, notice in terms of God's overall plan, Timothy may well not have been added to the team if John Mark had been present. His absence, in inverted commas, provided a vacancy for another young apprentice who in time will become Paul's closest companion, his spiritual son in the faith, 
to whom he hands on the baton of the gospel at the end of his life. This is how God works out his plans and all because he and Barnabas fell out. Encouragingly, if you read that final letter that he wrote, the last letter that Paul wrote that we have in the New Testament, 2 Timothy, you'll find some wonderful words at the end. He says, get Mark and bring him with you for he's helpful to me in the ministry. He came to realise that Mark did have real gifts and stood the test of time. So as a result of this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, two new missions and missionary teams are established. The final outcome, Barnabas and Mark go to Cyprus, Paul and Silas and Timothy go to the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And the two new members are added to the team and they travel around sharing the information about the council, the decision that's been taken. And the result is growth in maturity as well as numerically. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened the faith and grew daily in numbers. So, the first point I want to make here is that God guides through people problems, through human failings. Now, of course, don't get the wrong idea. I'm not saying here, that's great, I can fall out with all the other members in Charlotte Chapel and God's going to bring great good out of it. And that is abusing God's grace. But it means that God's grace is greater than our sin and his plans are greater than our human failings. I tell you this, if this was not true, I'd give up church work tomorrow, today. That God is bigger than our failings, bigger than our disagreements, bigger than our fallings out. And this should be a great encouragement to us, though not an excuse to fall out, of course. There's a very good example of this. You remember the story of Jonah? He was another guy who ran away from God's will. You know the story, he ended up in a great fish at the bottom of the ocean. And finally, he confessed, right at the bottom of the ocean, he cried out and he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And when he got that point, the Lord sent the fish up and it sicked him up on the beach and he carried on with his mission, which he should have done the first time. And so, looking at the bigger picture, I believe God used a sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul to open up the way for his greater plans for Europe. You see, if Barnabas had accompanied Paul on that journey, once they got, um, if they'd gone round the other way, the anticlockwise way, once they reached Pisidian Antioch, that was the limit before, you need to look at the map and work this out for yourself, they'd have almost certainly gone back down south to Cyprus. But now... Barnabas and Mark were in Cyprus. And so they face a new challenge. Where are they going to go next on their journey? They're going to break new ground for the gospel in Greece and in Europe. But how will this plan be revealed to Paul and his companions? As we read on, we discover a second thing. The first one was a rather negative thing about human failings. Secondly, God guides through divine directions. Whereas God works even when human beings go their own way, his much better plan is for us to follow his directions. And this we now see in what follows, both negative direction and then positive. Again, you need to look at a map and work this out for yourself, but at the western limit of their previous trip, at Antioch in Phrygia, the missionaries face a choice. Which way will they go? Their initial plan is not to go south to Cyprus. Their plan is to go west... Uh, into the province of Asia, to the great city of Ephesus. But now we discover that they face a closed door. Look at the text very carefully. A closed door in Asia. 
This is not, of course, uh, the continent of Asia, but the Roman province of Asia Minor, Anatolia. Paul and his companions travelled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So, they can't go west. So, where do you go next? Well, the obvious plan, if you were a strategist here, you would look at it and say, I'm going to go north, west, along to the region known as Mycia, and the obvious choice is to head for Bithynia. This is where the strategic Black Sea ports are. If you know the history of this time, the Romans had built this fantastic network of roads. There were all the transportation was laid on. It was an advanced culture and civilization. Surely, if you were a mission planner, you would have sat down and said, this is a strategic and fertile place to go with the gospel. But it's not to be, for they find another closed door when they want to head that direction, in Bithynia. When they came to the border of Mycia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. In both cases, doors were firmly closed in their faces. Now, this is another way in which God guides. God closes doors. Now, the two phrases used here are very intriguing. They were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching, and not allowed by the Spirit of Jesus. How did the Holy Spirit convey this prohibition? Was it a direct word? Silas, we read, was a prophet. Maybe he had a word directly from the Lord that said, no, not there. No, not there. Or was it some inner impression or conviction? Conveyed to them by the Spirit. A strong conviction they should not proceed. Now, you need to tread carefully here. Uh, but if you've been a Christian any length of time, you'll know there are times when you attempt to take a decision in life and you just feel a great uncertainty and unease about it. It's actually a verse in Isaiah, which people often read wrongly. Isaiah 30, verse 21 says, When you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, No, this is the way, walk in it. It's a kind of negative promise that God has a plan for us and sometimes we go down it, not willfully, you know, we're not going against God, we're just going the way we feel is right and then as you turn in a certain direction, there's an inner witness of the Spirit that says, that's not right. Now, it's very difficult to describe this, but if you are a Christian and if the Holy Spirit is living within you, God does give you a sensitivity if you're trying to follow his will. And there have been times in my life, I can think of one or two key decisions, where what seemed absolutely right, and I just went ahead with that, I prayed about it, I committed it to God, and I thought, this is absolutely right. And then as I started down the path, I just felt incredibly uneasy and just felt, this is not right. Sometimes circumstances are such that the door is actually closed to you. I need to remember many years ago when we were missionaries, um, I was lined up to be a... a to be appointed as a lecturer in New Testament at a well-known Bible college. And the interviews uh, were delayed somewhat, and uh, I, I just felt it was the right step to take, and I moved along that path, and then suddenly the door just closed like that. And it was as though God said, no, there's nothing wrong with that college, there's nothing wrong with that place, but it's not my plan for you. And sometimes, when God does that, you need to accept it clearly. Even though you may not understand at the moment why that is the case. Now, I don't know who I'm speaking to here this evening. Maybe you're facing some big decision as a Christian in life, and you, you've prayed about it, you've committed it to God, you're not just willfully going your own way and choosing your own thing. You're going down this route, and yet somehow you're uneasy. Or maybe God has just put a door and slammed it shut in your face, and you think to yourself, I just don't know why God has done that. This is where faith kicks in. 
The American pastor James Montgomery Boyce says something which is very encouraging. When God closes doors, it is not because he has nothing for us to do. It is to keep us from getting into a work we are not called to in order that we might be saved for a work to which we are. That might be a word for someone here this evening. Maybe you're disappointed and you think, she can't understand this. Again, to think of another story. These things come to mind as you're talking about this. Uh, when Nisha and I got married, I'd been working in India, and our plan was to go back to India and work with the Indian missions that I'd been working with, uh, just seconded to working with local Indian Christians. And I'd had a great time working with them. They wanted me to go. Everything was lined up. And Nisha and I applied to go back, and the government of India said, no, you're not coming. Very disappointing. I'm still not sure why. But the door was just completely slammed in our faces. And Nietzsche and I spent time thinking and praying it through. And then something amazing happened. A door just opened. The bishop working with Wycliffe uh, had an invitation from the church in Pakistan saying, we've got all these tribal people who've become Christians and we don't know what languages they speak. Have you got anybody who knows anything about this could help us? And they were the same languages I'd been working with just over the border in India. And so the door opened and we were the first team who went in there and did a survey of all the languages in Sin province. If you're interested, I'll give you a copy of the report, which is long and boring, but it, it made a basis for the work in New Testaments that have now been finished. And this is what happened, sorry, I'm rambling from the point here. This is what happened when God closes doors, eventually, sometimes you have to wait, he always opens doors as well. And here's an open door in Macedonia, which I hope is not too much of a bad word for Scottish football supporters. But anyway... So here's these missionaries, alright, here's Paul and Barnabas, they're going down this route, can't go south to Cyprus, forbidden to go to Asia, to Ephesus, not allowed to go up to the Black Sea port, so where do you go? Well you don't need to be a genius, you either go back home, or you keep going. So they keep going, and if you keep going, you know what happens eventually? You reach the sea. The Aegean Sea. And they come to the port of Troas. Troas was a... Just a few miles north of Troas was the ancient ruins of the city of Troy. And no doubt they're absolutely confused at this point about what's going on here. What does God want us to do? Where are we to go, Lord? You've not let us go there. You've not let us go there. You've not let us go there. Here we are. We're right on the sea and there's nowhere else we can go. We're in Troas. Cadwell Morgan again comments, It is better to go with, to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. In other words, it's better to be in a place where you aren't sure what God wants you to do than be in a place that God definitely doesn't want you to be. But they need not fear, for God who opens door, closes doors that no one can open is also the God who opens doors that no one can shut. Verse 9. During the night, we don't know how long they've been in Troas, probably staying in a B&B somewhere, I don't know what they were doing, but during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. There's been a lot of speculation about the man in question who Paul saw. Some suggest it was Luke, the writer of Acts. For you notice from this point onwards, the first of these passages where the, the narrative changes to we, from they to we, that Luke is part of the party now. Uh, some even suggest that Paul, who suffered from illness, consulted Dr. Luke who happened to come from Macedonia, was in Troas, and he went to his doctor's surgery, and he said, you know, come over and help us, or he had a vision of him coming over and helping us. It's all speculation. What is important is that the next morning, 
Paul shares with his colleagues and he says, I had a vision in the night. And they get ready to reach. Notice the conclusion they reached. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, we're talking about decision-making processes. Notice what they do. The word concluded means to put together certain facts in your mind. That is to bring these facts to order, to try and discern a course of action, a conclusion. And the facts were these. They'd been prevented from going south, prevented from going west, prevented from going northwest. Now here they are in Troas and they're heading for something they never even dreamt of when they started out. They're going to cross the Aegean Sea into what we now call Europe and the history of the world will never be the same. It's that important. Weighing up the facts, they see that this is the step they should take. Uh, Another commentator, F.F. Bruce, great Scotsman, he's my final examiner in my university, said this, The missionary journeys of Paul exhibit an extraordinary combination of strategic planning and keen sensitiveness to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Whether that guidance took the form of inward prompting or the overruling of external circumstances. Now, that's the kind of wisdom that we need as Christians and as churches. There are some Christians in churches who are all into strategic planning and they ignore the Spirit. There are other people who are so into the Spirit's guidance that they see any planning as unspiritual. Keeping the balance requires maturity and sensitivity to hear what God is saying to us. Because this is about a relationship with the living God as he directs our path and he directs us as a church as we look to the future in Charlotte Chapel. Where is God taking us? We need to be sensitive and hear what he's saying. It may be something completely different that we had never anticipated. Maybe a personal thing. But once you hear what the Spirit is saying... You need to act on it immediately, as Paul and his party did. Once you know God's will, you cannot remain in Troas. I've met Christians who are stuck in the same place they've been, not for a few weeks or months, but even years. Because they don't know what God wants them to do. God doesn't intend us just to sit around forever. When God guides us, we need to move and take action. Trusting God to lead you one step at a time. They don't know where this is going to take them. We know the story. But Paul and Barnabas now cross over the Aegean Sea into Macedonia. God willing, we'll see how that happens and what happens to them. It's the response of obedience. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's an amazing story if you think about it. They started off with a little plan in mind to do a review of their first missionary journey. Remarkable though that was. And God said, no, no, I've got a much bigger plan for you. I'm going to take you on a journey that you've never imagined. And the gospel's going to go to these great cities in Asia. Cities like Corinth, Philippi, Roman colony, Athens, the intellectual capital of the ancient world. And finally, they'll come back to Ephesus, but not the way they intended. God has got his plan. Okay, let me just say something in conclusion. Almost 400 years before this, in the spring of the year 333 BC, by our later Christian reckoning, of course, another mission headed in the opposite direction. The king of Macedon in Greece, Alexander by name, was at the head of a great army heading east. 
And his aim was not just to conquer Persia and the lands beyond it, but in his own words, to marry the east to the west, to make one world united around the Greek language and culture. It's one of the great stories of human history. The greatest missions of all times. As Alexander and his army marched through the region, conquering peoples after peoples, nation after nation. Until finally he reached India in the great Indus Valley. And tradition has it that when he reached there, Alexander wept, having no further lands to conquer. No wonder he was and is known as Alexander the Great. But think about this. I was thinking about this this week as I prepared this. Think about this. The man who passed the same journey in the opposite direction 400 years ago had no army. As far as we know, he only had two friends with him. Silas and a young guy called Timothy. It's doubtful whether they passed through customs. Anyone paid any attention to them whatsoever. No weapons. Nothing. He was never called Paul the Great. Simply described himself in most of his letters as Paul the Apostle, which means sent by God with the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But I tell you this, his mission had a far greater impact on the world than Alexander's ever did. For the gospel was a life-changing message that reached mainland Europe for the first time and would from there in time be carried to every continent and every place on earth. Even within a few years, Paul can write to the Christians in Colossians and say, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Such is the power of the gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And the great thing is that message is still being carried out today to the ends of the earth by people who simply follow the guide, by churches together who follow the guiding principles, and to obey the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our verse for the year. This is our goal in our 200th anniversary. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I hope we're such people. I hope we're such a church. But it requires that we're willing and obedient. We say, Lord, here am I. Whatever you want to do with me. Have a smaller part, have a greater part, whatever lies ahead, no idea what it might be. Here I am. I want to follow you and I want you to use me to spread the fragrance, the good news of Jesus Christ as I even go out into this week that you seek God's will for your life because he's got a plan for you. If you'll only hear his voice and follow his guidance. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful account, this honest account of how you fulfilled and continue to fulfill your mission through very fragile human beings. People like Paul and Barnabas, great leaders who fell out. Thank you even through that you brought about good. But we want to just follow your plan for us to go not our own way but your way. And we thank you that you have a plan for each one of us. And this evening we pray that for those of us here perhaps who are a bit confused about where you're taking us. Pray for those who are facing closed doors things that we thought were really what you wanted and yet it turns out they didn't seem to be. Lord, help us to trust you at this time and to look to you to open doors and for those of us who know there are doors opening in front of us, give us the courage and faith to follow them wherever you might lead us. Lord, we bow in your presence as individuals. We pray as a church this our 200th anniversary that we might be a static church We are a gathered church, but we're gathered so that we might 
be distributed in Edinburgh and beyond through our mission family. So help us, we pray. Lead us and guide us. And thank you for your wonderful plan. And even more amazing that you use people to fulfill it, people like us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.